Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Well, this morning we're starting a new series. And this series is going to be four parts. We're going to be doing a series on the cross that's called Revolution. This is leading up to Easter. It's going to be culminating on Good Friday. And we are going to be having a Good Friday service at the Genesis building. It will be on Friday. Um, because that's when you have Good Friday services at 7 p.m. It's going to be just an hour, maybe that long of a service, and I hope you'll be a part of that. And my desire is, as we go through these talks, to help us understand what was so revolutionary about the cross. Why is it so pivotal? in our faith as well as in all humanity. So this morning I'm going to be talking about Rome, earrings and tattoos, museums, Kirk Douglas, and gardens. When we talk about the cross, we have to bring it into context, and the context is going to be that of the Roman Empire. Rome did not invent crucifixion, but they did, in a sense, perfect it. They, they did make it something that was pretty much a standard in their way of, of living. And any time that someone or a group of people would try and rise up and gain power or to try and break away from Rome's power, Rome was very good at brutally liquidating these people, these leaders, without any questions asked. They were masters at it. And so now you've got this young uh, leader with this ragtag group of people that are following him, and Rome did what Rome does best, as they brutally squashed this uprising. And on 6 o'clock that dark Friday evening, the world was a different place. Something happened, and it changed. A, a revolution began under the most powerful empire that the world has ever known. And whether you believe or even approve of Jesus or his teachings or the movement that still claims to follow him in his name, whether you like these things, agree with them or disagree with them, you cannot deny that the cross is one of the most pivotal moments in human history. It marked the beginning of a whole new era. And it was indeed revolutionary. What was that revolution about and how do we continue it? How do we continue to step in to what was started way back then? What was this revolution? What was its goal? What was its purpose? 
What was his intention? Jesus was all about God reaching humanity. And so we have heard, at least I have heard throughout my Christian life, that the cross was about Jesus dying for my sin so I could get to heaven. But that's not quite the revolutionary story. That That's not all that Christianity was. That's not all that it was about. They were talking about something much bigger, something more dangerous, something altogether more explosive, something that ignited the hearts and lives of all those people. So in the midst of the most powerful, the most oppressive empire that the world has ever known, this revolution began. And it wasn't just about when you die, you get to go to heaven. The personal meaning is not left behind, but it's contained within a larger story that means more, not less. And so we're going to step in and try and discover what is the more. Because this story is definitely about God's love for us. It's definitely embracing that, containing that. And the scriptures support that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there is this personal element, this this connection to God that he loves and has sacrificed himself for us. Of course, the most popular verse probably in all scripture is God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so this is all part of the cross. The early followers believed that these truths would make a difference in the world that they were living in not so much in the world to come. It was what they were doing now that was ushering in the world that would come. And so it's important that we understand that the early followers of Jesus, when they encountered the crucifixion and when they embraced it, that it revolutionized how they lived their lives right there right then because of what was taking place in their lives. Now, the cross is iconic. I mean, you think about all the ways where we see the cross, right? You can't get away from it. You see the cross on churches. You see it on earrings. You see it on tattoos. It's in movies. It's in music. It's something that is taking place everywhere. Coca-Cola and McDonald's would drool to have the brand that the cross has and has had. How many people, even though they don't believe in Christ, wear a cross or have a cross tattooed on them or one on their jacket? It's something that has swept the emotion of humanity in so many places. Why? What is so... Interesting. What is so, what's the pull of this cross that draws us to it? It's so strange when you think about it because originally it was a symbol of suffering and defeat. The cross wasn't something anyone celebrated. It wasn't something anyone looked forward to. 
The Roman Empire killed thousands upon thousands of its enemies by nailing them to wooden crosses. It's like wearing a guillotine or a lethal injection, you know, needle around your neck. It's like, what? That's just kind of, I know some people do, but it's that strange. It's that offensive. It's that off-putting. And yet that's where we're being drawn to. Why would millions of people throughout history be holding on to a symbol that represented death and defeat? Jesus was executed some 2,000 years ago by the Romans, but Christians believe that Jesus didn't stay dead, that he rose again beyond death's reach. And that makes the cross not a sign of, of death, but actually the sign of the end of death, a sign of hope, a sign of possibility for everyone. You see, the cross represented not just the death and suffering, but what goes beyond the suffering. Where is there hope in the midst of the suffering? The cross impacts us, and we don't even have to know why. There was a museum, the National Gallery in London, In the year 2000, they put on a millennial exhibition entitled Seeing Salvation. And it consisted mostly of artist depictions of Jesus on the cross. And there was a lot of critics who just said, what do we need to see this? This is violent. We need to end violence. Why are you glorifying this violent act? But people came in groves to this because they wanted to see this. And then one of the galleries, one of the things, the final piece that was put on by Neil McGregor, who is the director of the British Museum, he acquired a piece that was haunting. It was made of fragments of a small boat, and the boat had been carrying refugees from Somalia that was wrecked off the coast of an Italian uh, city in 2013. And of the 500 people on board, 349 of them drowned. And so it was this tragic event, and a local craftsman was so deeply distressed by what happened that he took fragments of the boat that they tried to get in and make it to the land, and he made crosses out of them. One was actually worn by Pope Francis at a memorial service for the survivors, and another was put in the museum. Franco was asked to make that one for the British Museum and the wall. And you think, why? What is it about this symbol that takes this tragic event and draws us into it, that brings with it the idea of empathy, that brings with it the idea of, okay, we can acknowledge what happened by showing this symbol because this symbol embraces that tragedy in a way that nothing else could. No words can explain it. Nothing else kind of come close to the idea that this symbol does when we see it and we begin to understand the, the story that it grew up from. And it's powerful. 
Why the cross? Why does it represent these tragedies so well? Why does it move us the way it does? All the elements of the crucifixion, from Judas's kiss, from Peter's denial, to the mocking crown of thorns on his head, it, it, it all represents, it kind of comes to this place where it sums up how we humans can get things so horrifically wrong. How we can just make the most dreadful mistakes. And it brings a deeper meaning that moves us to believe there can be change. John Bunyan's famous Pilgrim's Progress penned in the 1600s or 1700s, the hero Christian, he's trudging along and he's weighed down by the huge burden. And he comes walking up with the cross and his burdens are loosed from his shoulders. And it says that they fell back off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and he said with a merry heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder, for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. And you see, that still happens to this day, just as it did at the time that Bunyan wrote this. The the sight of the cross is able to ease us. Why? Because it changes our circumstances? No, it brings God into our circumstances. He sees me here. He knows my pain. That we are not without a God who cares and has experienced the heartache, the burden, the pain that we experience. Why are these stories so powerful? Why why does the death of a man 2,000 years ago in an obscure Roman province have this kind of power? What's going on with this story that is moving us in this way. They're connected to God and his love for humanity. And again, scripture expounds on that over and over again. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can be an example of that? The cross. The cross is where we find this love, where we experience this. Think of all the songs that have been written about the cross. How many of the songs we sing talk about the cross, talk about Christ dying for us? Isaac Watts' song from Galatians chapter 6, 14, it says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, 
My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This symbol, this event began something that is still taking place in the hearts of millions of people, but it's more than just a memory. It's connected to life. What did the first century think about the cross? Crucifixion, again, wasn't invented by the Romans, but they sure mastered it. And it was the way they dealt with slaves and rebels, and especially slaves that were rebellious. It was their go-to to be an example to anyone else who would try to be rebellious. How many of you remember Spartacus, the original one, right? With Kirk Douglas, remember? Love that movie. Especially that one scene, right, where they're getting ready. They've captured them. They're going to kill them all. And they go, who is Spartacus? And they all stand up. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm. And you get this, oh, man, this is so moving, right? Well, the real-life Spartacus, he led a slave revolt against Rome. And they came to the end about 100 years before Christ. Many died at that final battle, but get this, 6,000 of them, of his followers, were crucified all along the Appian Way, making it roughly a crucifixion every 40 yards for 130 miles. So that everyone who was going to Rome, every 40 yards would see someone Dying. And here is the thing about crucifixion. You did not die quickly. It was slow. Days could go by. Some people actually survived. Their family would come and take them down. Families would go and visit while their loved one is there dying. And it was gruesome. This isn't something you would talk about You know, it's one of those things like, don't talk about that. That's something that brings horror to your mind. It's something that is gruesome. As you would walk and you'd see and hear people agonizing, dying. You would have buzzards coming there, rats and and all kinds of things going on as these people were slowly rotting away. And then when they were done and they finally died, they would cut them down and just leave the carcass there for the animals to just take care of it. And so, yeah, this is great, right? This is what people thought of of crucifixion. This is what happens to anyone who rebels against Rome. This is what happens when slaves try to, to leave because they needed their slaves to survive. And so they were making a statement. Those crucified were usually the ones who were the lowest of society. And it was usually something that was considered a disgrace. Which then you start thinking, okay, now it makes sense when Paul would talk in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Whoop, that's not it. 
That's Kirk Douglas again. 1 Corinthians one twenty three. he says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, it was a disgrace to the Jews because the idea that their Messiah, the one who was going to be their deliverer, would be in the lowest of low places disgraced was unfathomable. This is something that is abhorrent to us. We cannot embrace this. It's a stumbling block to us. This is causing our brains to falter. You cannot put the Messiah, our deliverer, in the place with someone who has been totally squashed and oppressed, someone who's been dealt with in such a low manner. Our Messiah and this death do not go hand in hand. And so it was a stumbling block. And then to the Greeks, the Gentiles, it was like foolishness. This is what happens to everyone who opposes Rome. And you want to worship this as your God? How foolish for you to worship a God that has been conquered, that has been enslaved to the lowest point. It's stupid. They even had cartoons with people on the cross, and it would say, here is, and they would name someone's name, Sileus, worshiping his God, and they would have a person on a cross with a donkey's head on it. And it was mocking them, saying, you're so foolish. You would worship Someone who was crucified, it makes no sense. And the reason it was so difficult is because of how shameful it was. How difficult it was for people to understand these things. But in the cross... And the meaning, there are many layers. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be going through these. It's strange that in spite of how shameful the cross was, it was still the focus of the New Testament church. You would think the resurrection would be the focus. And they do talk about the resurrection, but there is more conversation about the cross than there is the resurrection. Why? Wouldn't you want to just put that, oh yeah, we remember that, but let's get on. Why was the cross so central to their message? Why was this such a big deal that they identified to it in such a powerful way? Why is this where things changed in the lives of so many? Why is this where we would celebrate what we call communion, the Lord's table, the breaking of his body? the pouring of his blood, why would that be the memory that we would carry on? Why wouldn't we have something else about the resurrection? Why is it that we keep going there? One said that we, the superior or a social meaning that was given to the cross is that those said that we are superior, you are inferior. Socially, that's how they looked at the cross. We are better, you are worse. It had political meaning. We are in charge and you count for nothing. It had theological meaning. The goddess Rome and Caesar, the son of God, were superior to any and all local gods. 
This was all a mindset at that time of how people saw the cross. All those meanings would have been in the face of any of those who followed Jesus at that time. So what was God doing in the world, in Israel, in humanity? What was happening? Why did Jesus die? What deeper layers of meaning are hidden in the phrase, for our sins? What did people of the first century think when they heard that phrase spoken, Jesus died for my sins? Because if it's just Jesus died for my sins so that I could go to heaven, we're missing a depth that was a part of the early church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. You see, the cross was not just about getting you out of this place. It was to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 24 Paul writes, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. First of all, we got to understand when he's talking about the sufferings, he's talking about real sufferings. There are Christians being crucified because they still believe and are following this Jesus. Verse 19, it says, for creation itself waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Not for the children of God to go to heaven. Creation is waiting for them to show up. For the image of God to again be seen in them. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You see, this is about liberation. This is about freedom. This is about moving all of creation forward. And how does that happen? It starts with this event. It starts with a crucifixion. And it it is so contrary to our way of thinking. This looks like defeat. And God says, in the lowest place that you can imagine is where I will begin this revolution and it will conquer this empire and all those after it. He goes on, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You see, the New Testament insists in book after book that when Jesus died on the cross, something happened as a result of which the whole world was now going to be a different place. Creation has been waiting for this event. And the early Christians insisted that when people are caught up in the meaning of the cross, they become part of this difference. 
They become part of the revolution of what God is doing to move all of humanity forward. Not just all of humanity, all of creation. But it's what the first Christians thought, said, and taught. Jesus' crucifixion was the day the revolution began. In particular, they seem to have interpreted Jesus' crucifixion within a much bigger and perhaps a more dangerous story than simply the question of whether people go to heaven or hell. The question, in fact, to the astonishment of so many people is not what the New Testament is about. The New Testament with the story of Jesus' crucifixion is at its center is about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus said you should pray this way. It was never about escape. It was always about changing the earth as we see it, the systems as we know them the empires that are ruling as they are. And it started with this event. This points us in the direction that we're going to be moving in in the next few weeks. Jesus chose Passover as the moment to do what he had to do on the cross. And of course, that commemorated when the Israel people God acted on their behalf and dramatically broke the power of Pharaoh and Egypt and their hold on them. Here they are under Caesar and Rome and Passover to them represented this kind of freedom from being enslaved. It had a powerful meaning to the Jews in the first century as well as did Daniel chapter 9. Remember, Daniel's writing when the children of Israel are in exile of Babylon. And they saw themselves still in that chapter, waiting to get out of the exile, but now it's no longer Babylon, now it's Rome. And the whole reason that they were in exile is because they had departed from the true and living God and began worshiping idols instead. And this exile was the result of Israel's own idolatry. And the forgiveness of sins to the Jewish mindset was to undo the long exile they were in. That was also celebrated on the Day of Atonement. And now Jesus is putting these two together. You're wanting to be free from the slavery of empire. You're wanting to be free from exile. You're wanting to no longer be in this place because of your idolatry, giving yourself over to something less than God. And Jesus shows up and says, I have taken care of this. And it all happens here on this cross. It changes everything. So now Jesus dying for our sins, according to the scriptures, may have a whole different meaning to a Jew in the first century as it does to a person who's at a revival meeting in the 20th century. Here it's talking about exile. Here it's talking about idolatry. Here it's talking maybe about something else. It could be very inclusive to these things, but we have to understand where it was moving from so that we can continue moving in the direction that God was trying to move all of humanity to. There's a strong connection to Israel's purpose as a nation and Christ fulfilling the intention of Israel and us being created in God's image and being a royal priesthood. 
See, Christ is fulfilling what Israel never could. And Christ is calling us to be a priesthood in his image. But where do we see his image go? It goes to a cross. And again, hopefully, as I'm playing this out, you start thinking, that's pretty dark. That's a very difficult place to go to. But that's exactly where it goes. See, according to the early Christians, on that Good Friday, the world became a different place. God did something there that changed everything. And it was meant to change everything. What was different? Why was it different? And how does that difference challenge us today? How does that move us as we follow this shameful, this scandalous, this crucified Jesus? How do identifying with him in all these places change the world around us? Christ conquered through suffering. The world at that time and the world today is running away from suffering. But has there been anyone in this room who has not suffered? Didn't think so. I heard that if you preach to people who are suffering, you will always have an audience. Because there are always people who are suffering. It doesn't stop. And you see, Christ conquers in the midst of that suffering. The the church was born in suffering. Suffering is necessary for growth. Suffering is actually necessary for healing. It's also the clearest demonstration of love. See, what moves something from being just tragic to being heroic is the purpose behind it. As tragic as it is with Officer Gregory dying, and it is tragic, it moves from being tragic to heroic because he was a person serving others and put his life on the line. What moves Christ's crucifixion from being tragic to being something more is that there was a purpose behind it that was not about him, but about changing everyone else. And then we get the invitation to be a part of something heroic. But being heroic is dangerous. Being heroic is costly. Being heroic looks like Jesus. And it's this kind of conquering that changes the world. And what would happen if we believed that? That we believed that the power of God was demonstrated in the cross of Christ, how would it change how we deal with problems? How would it change 
our political understanding. And it's complicated. It's not a clear-cut answer. I'm not telling you this is something that's simple. But if we had a mentality that was born from this, how would it affect everything that we did in a different way? How could something so low become something so powerful? What took place that caused this change if it was not the power of God? How could you take what is the most shameful thing and produce it into something that people now identify and empathize with and find comfort from? How could it move from this place to this place if it's not the power of God at work in it? And that same power is calling us out and saying, come and follow me if any man will be my disciple, let him pick up his cross and follow after me. And now you understand why a lot of people says, I can't go anymore. This is asking too much of me. Anything that is of value is going to ask a lot of you. Anything that is worth something is going to ask more of you than you are able to give. And it's going to draw out of you more than you have. And at the cross, we find exactly that. That God is pulling his image out so that we can wear it and we can be seen in his image. And by living this way, we can continue what he began the revolution that is still going on to this day. And this is a hard and a a, a difficult talk because it seems very gloomy. But I don't want you to see it gloomy. I want you to see it as hopeful. I want you to see it as powerful. You need change in your life. This is where it starts. You need hope in your life. This is where it starts. The God who knows exactly the lowest point that you could be in has been there and says, it's right there that I'm going to start making this garden grow. I'm going to produce something. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can't produce anything. But once it dies, then it produces something. He's calling us to this place so that our lives can be changed and so that the image of God can be seen in us and we can show that to the rest of the world. Let's pray. Father, everything within me rebels against the thoughts that come at me in the idea of crucifixion. The idea of someone having authority over me and and abusing that authority and, and someone thinking little or thinking themselves superior and having that advantage over me, it rubs me the wrong way. And yet... You're calling us not to be abused, not to be mistreated, but to 
recognize your hand in our lives, even in the situations where there is power over us. To hold on to a power that is greater, that is not seen. To trust in a love that is able to change the hearts of men and women. That's able to move me from a place of death to life. That is able to conquer the death that we live in and call it life. That is able to revive our very souls and connect them to you. There is an invitation to us. And it comes through the cross. Lord, I pray in the weeks to come as we look at this that we will begin to see how vast, how deep your love is. That we begin to embrace all that took place at this moment. That we would never look at the cross the same again. And like that early church, we would identify ourselves with you at this place. Because even though it's a stumbling block to the Jewish people and it's foolishness to the Gentiles, to us, it is the very power of God that is able to transform life itself. And that is what we want. And it's that what, that's what we ask you to do within us and through us. We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you see the love of Christ in the darkest place and recognize that his light shines even there. May you understand that nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus that whatever darkness you are in, his light can be found even there. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. See you later. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.